The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 351 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is human rights and mental health care services, what family caregivers should know. Now, the uncomfortable history of society's attitudes to serious mental illnesses goes back thousands of years. These were attitudes founded in fear of the mentally ill, and that led to the mentally ill being locked away in asylums. It led to treatments that could be brutal, and it even led to their families being blamed for the mental illnesses. Now, today, even though attitudes to mental illnesses have improved considerably, stigmatization, discrimination, and social prejudice do continue to exist. Also today, there is hope for recovery from mental illness. Now, recovery from mental illness means something other than medical or surgical cures, which are still lacking for far too many mental health disabilities and addictions. What recovery from mental illness means is living a fulfilling life despite health disabilities and addictions, mental health disabilities I'm talking about there, obviously, which is possible with the support of effective care and of a caring community. Now, a community in which there's stigmatization, discrimination, and social prejudice towards mental health disabilities and addictions is weakened in its role of caring community. And that's why our topic Human rights and mental health care services, what family caregivers should know, is so important for family caregivers and for the family members living with mental illnesses. Now, to discuss this topic, our guest is Barbara Hall. Barbara is Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission. She's former mayor of Toronto. She served for more than 40 years as a community worker, lawyer, municipal politician, and champion of a grassroots approach to community building. She served three terms as a Toronto City Councillor from 1985 on and as Toronto's Mayor from 1994 to 1997. From 1998 to 2002, she headed the Canadian government's National Strategy on Community Safety and Crime Prevention. She was appointed Chief Commissioner of the Province of Ontario's Human Rights Commission in 2005. 
And also, she's practiced criminal and family law, been a member of the province of Ontario's Health Ministry's Health Results Team, and lectured nationally and internationally on urban and social issues. So welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you very much, Gordon, and thank you for that kind introduction. Glad to. Now, Barbara, please tell us a little bit more about your life, your career, and any experience you might have with family caregiving. Barbara? Yes, Gordon. Well, uh, people have heard my my bio, and uh, I've had an exciting and, and diverse career. I guess in all the positions that I've worked, I had some involvement with people with mental health issues and addictions, and often with their families. So I have some experience with the issue from that perspective, but I'd like to talk a little bit about my own personal experience, uh, because I believe that, that all of us experience on a personal level um, these issues. My mother um, was diagnosed when I was in my 30s with um, what now would be called bipolar uh, condition, and, and so as a daughter and as an older daughter dealing with an aging mom, I had a lot of experience. Right now, um, I'm in my, my late 60s, and uh, my older sister uh, her husband is um, in fairly late stages of Alzheimer's, and so as a family, we've been dealing with that, supporting my brother-in-law to stay in the community and be as independent as possible, as long as possible, as well as supporting my, my sister and niece, and also have a, um, have a, a young nephew um, who is uh, very young, under 10, who has been diagnosed with, with serious mental health issues. And so I'm working there as a family member with his mother, with his siblings, with his parents, just the broad kind of experience and brainstorming and looking for solutions and supporting each other. Um, Right. My, my experience is quite broad. Our listeners listening to you will relate very strongly to what you've just been saying, because in various ways, your story is the story of their lives, too. Now, let's switch. I'd like you to tell us more about the work of the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Barbara? Yes. The Human Rights Code and the Commission... Um, are about 50 years old, the first in Canada. And this legislation, the Human Rights Code, is what's called an anti-discrimination piece of legislation. It says, basically, that it's illegal in Ontario to discriminate against people where they work, where they get services, or in housing, as well as a couple of other smaller areas, on the basis of a whole range of, of uh, grounds. And one of those grounds is uh, disability, and disability is described both 
as a physical disability and as um, an invisible disability or or uh, mental health or or addiction. So the law says you can't discriminate in certain places in Ontario because of disability. And the commission is part of a system. There's a tribunal or a court where people go if they believe they've been discriminated against, a legal support center where people can get legal services, And our job at the commission is to uh, deal with systemic issues in a very broad way. A lot of our work is public education, research, and analysis. We develop policies which take the very brief words of of the code and say to people, what are these rights? What, what do they entitle people to? What responsibilities do they place on people like employers or service providers? Um, we also sometimes get involved in, uh, in public inquiries. We can hold public inquiries. We intervene in proceedings at the Human Rights Tribunal of on Ontario and can initiate our own applications. We work in partnership with many institutions to make change, to um, really create a, a culture within organizations, of a culture of, of human rights um, that creates a society without policies and procedures and practices that discriminate. Right. Now, that takes me to my next question, which is, please tell us why the Commission created its policy on preventing discrimination based on mental health disabilities and addictions. What was it that led to that? Well, I think part of it was that when I came to this position and the Commission about nine years ago, um, I learned very quickly that the largest number of complaints in the human rights system were related to disability, and particularly disability in the workplace, but virtually all of them were were physical disability, and virtually nothing around mental health. And yet, I knew from my experience, both my personal family experience, as well as my experience um, dealing with, with Um, many of these issues uh, in municipal politics, in the law, and whatever, there were a lot of barriers and a lot of discrimination against people with mental health issues. And so it became clear that in the same way that people were somewhat in the closet and fearful to come forward broadly in society, they also didn't have the confidence to come forward in the human rights system. And so we have been working to reach out to that community. We did uh, a consultation across the province. We got the largest response to any uh, consultation we had ever done. Thousands of people talking about the fear, the stigma, the discrimination, the terrible place in which they or family members 
lived, and it was clear that this was uh, something that that was needed. So after that uh, that consultation, we developed a policy, and its purpose is first of all to make it clear to people with mental health or addictions issues that they have rights and that they're entitled under the law to be protected against discrimination. And the policy sets out some of the ways they can advance their rights. It also sends a clear message to the rest of society, to employers, to service providers, to landlords, for example, that they have responsibilities in terms of people with mental health issues. And these, and then we set out the ways in which um, they have responsibilities and some best practices that they can use uh, to meet their, their responsibilities. And, um, and we, we're in the process of um, taking that policy out across the, the province and indeed, to some extent, across the country, because this is the first uh, human rights policy that a uh, human rights commission in Canada has has come out with that really look, looks at mental illness through a human rights lens. So really, this is a breakthrough. And this is what we're going to be talking about um, in the next segments just how this all falls into place and the work in, and the way you're doing that work and the way you provide support. But right now, it's the time where we have to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Adley. My guest is Barbara Hall, Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg 
at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Barbara Hall, Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Our topic is Human Rights and Mental Health Care Services, What Family Caregivers Should Know. So, Barbara, now let's talk about the types of situations in which issues of human rights could arise for individuals living with mental illnesses and also could arise for their families and family caregivers. So first first um, first question then is, please give an give us an example of the types of situations in which issues of human rights could arise for young people living with addictions. Barbara? Yes, well, uh, I think as a society, we see those examples every every day. We see them in education, um, in schools where uh, families are working hard, young people are wanting to uh, be in school, but have addiction issues, other mental health issues, and the school... Um, is punitive, um, often operate with uh, zero-tolerance policies and uh, no seemingly little understanding of the uh, requirements of the education system. And this can be public school or it could be post-secondary colleges and universities. No interest in... um, accommodating or attempting to accommodate the um, the needs of of the young people and wanting to criminalize them as opposed to uh, accommodate their needs to the point of undue hardship. That may mean that uh, children or young people, young adults are out of school while they, they um, get... Uh, treatment or are unable to uh, proceed with with education. So is it possible to modify programs to to, uh, allow young people a greater amount of flexibility in terms of attendance at classes, scheduling, deadlines, all of of those things? Um, so, So education is is an important part. Um, I think in many respects, the, the uh, available supports and resources for young people are often uh, sadly absent and that uh, young people, it's seen more as an issue of behavior than it is of, of illness, mental illness or, or addiction. Um, so it's wanting to, uh, to punish rather than um, to accommodate and, and assist. Now, I'm going to ask you the same question, but it's now relating to adults and seniors living with mental illnesses. So please give us an example or two of the types of situations in which issues of human rights could arise, as I say, for adults and seniors who are living with mental illnesses. Barbara? Well, they may arise in the work situation. Um, people who, who maybe have 
worked in a place for uh, a long time and all of a sudden are acting out of character and that's responded to uh, as a matter of discipline as opposed to uh, a a matter of disability that uh, with the right to um, accommodation. It may involve returning to the workplace after absence because of a mental health issue. And while uh, employers uh, and co-workers are often very uh, supportive of somebody with with other kinds of illnesses, we think about uh, cancer, for example, a common, another sadly common occurrence, and, and yet often employers and co-workers respond very differently when someone returns um, from a mental health issue as opposed to a cancer. It can occur in housing, um, it, in finding housing, and if people um, are labeled, then uh, they, it may be very difficult to secure housing. We did some work a few years ago with a community group that found that uh, many landlords were very aware that they couldn't um, discriminate on the basis of race or age or grounds such as that, but they were very open and blatant about discriminating on the basis of mental health or or addictions. They didn't even know that was a problem in terms of race. I mean, they they would do anything to uh, cover that up or pretend um, they weren't discriminating, but in terms of mental mental illness, it was right out. We find another area which is, is sort of counterintuitive in terms of services and medical services. So in an area where people should have a greater understanding, often doctors um, don't refuse patients um, who have a history of mental health issues. Um, they think it'll be too complicated, um, any kind of um, requests for certain kinds of medications. They determine that it's uh, because of an addiction as opposed to a physical need. And, and we've seen a number of cases where people in emergency departments, for example, have been denied care because um, of an awareness of mental health or addiction issues and the belief that the person was there to abuse the, the system. Now, let's go to situations now as they might affect families and family caregivers. And I want to broaden the question in this way. I'd like you to give us an example of the types of situations in which these issues of human rights could arise for the families and family caregivers of young people, adults or seniors living with mental illnesses or addictions. Barbara? Well, sometimes... uh in the workplace, for example, if, uh, if employers are aware that uh, an employee is dealing with uh, a family member with an addiction, let's say uh, a husband or a wife with a drug addiction, um, we've seen situations where that person's husband or wife, partner, have been fired 
because of their association with the person with a, an addiction or, or mental health issue. The Human Rights Code specifically prohibit, prohibits discrimination because of association with one of the grounds under, under the, the code. So that would be contrary to, to the law. The code also prohibits discrimination based on family status. So this could mean uh, a parent or it could mean a child who either biological or adoptive or an extended family that had obligations related to the mental health um, or addiction needs of a, clo- of a child or of a parent. So um, the kind of, of issues that may come up in the workplace where uh, somebody has to take time off in order to support, in case of emergency involving a, a family member, um, employers are required to accommodate the person in that situation to the extent that they're able. It means flexibility. So if a mother has a child in, in school who... who uh, uh, experiences uh, or severe anxiety, for example, and has to leave work um, on the on a quick uh, notice. Then, is it possible for the uh, for the employer to create flexible work hour arrangements, for example, that would allow the person to leave when they have to and then come back? Um, at a, at another time and do do the work. Those are examples of of things where there's an obligation on the part of an employer to to uh, accommodate and support uh, people in that situation. In the use of the words accommodate and um, flexibility. Um, Please say more about what you mean by accommodate. Right. Um, I understand flexibility, but what does accommodate mean? Say to a mom where she has to, she's called to school because her child that has some kind of mental health problem is causing disturbance or distress or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. What, what's the accommodation there that's required? Barbara? Well, the, the uh, employee needs to leave the workplace at a time when they're otherwise scheduled to to work. Is it possible for them to leave then because they're required, but do the job in another way at an, another time? I mean, more and more in situations, in workplace situations, uh, people can work from a distance using technology, or it may be possible in in uh, where people generally work from nine to five, but the the manner in which the the work is done is is not dependent on a particular time or other people, so they could leave midday and do what needed to be done and come back 
uh, either after the normal work hours or before the normal work hours or work in a different kind of way. And that's where the flexibility comes in. I, I mean, clearly it's harder in cases, if we think about the classic manufacturing line, and if your job on that, you're leaving your position on that would mean the whole workplace shuts down, then accommodation may not be possible. But in many, many workplaces, it really doesn't matter if my work is done at 11 in the morning or 4 in the afternoon or midnight. So uh, is it possible for the person to meet their obligations in terms of their, uh, of their, their family and particularly uh, disability issues, mental health issues, and that kind of thing. Those are the right. questions. Very that clear and very important. Now, once again, we've come to the time where we have to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Etherly. My guest is Barbara Hall, Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Barbara Hall, Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Our topic is human rights and mental health care services, what family caregivers should know. Now, Barbara, now, please, let's talk about how the Commission's work supports individuals who are living with mental health disabilities or addictions or who become involved in privacy concerns, the criminal justice system 
or detention centers? So first of all, first question, Barbara, how does the work of the Commission support individuals with mental health disabilities and addictions when they or their families are fearful that their personal health information could be disclosed in ways that put them all at risk of discrimination or stigmatization? Barbara? Well, uh, there are a number of ways, Gordon. Um, I think, and, and just before I specifically answer that, I'd, I'd like to say that one of the good things that's happening out there is that, in fact, more and more people are talking openly about their mental health issues and addiction, and every time that happens... Um, some of the stigma and discrimination uh, reduces a little bit. But there's still an awful lot out there. And so privacy is very, very important. And there are a number of laws, not just the Human Rights Code, but the uh, Ontario Freedom of Information and Privacy Act. And and the Federal Privacy Act and um, a number of, of pieces of or laws that protect people in terms of keeping their information private. Um, in, the, in the workplace, I talked about accommodation. Um, the, uh, the information that employees give their employers about why they need accommodation or how they need accommodation is confidential information. And the employer has an obligation to keep that confidential. Um, we've been doing a lot of work over the last while around police record checks because so many, uh, almost everything now in terms of jobs, in terms of volunteering, um, doesn't seem to matter where it is. People need um, criminal record checks. And people with mental health issues may, over their lifetime, have been picked up by the police under the Mental Health Act and taken to a hospital. And in too many cases, this stays in the record and when people need a check because they want to volunteer at their children's school or at the local public library or apply for a job for which they're, um, they're qualified, all of a sudden it says that uh, the person was taken to a hospital 10 years ago because uh, maybe they were um, uh, experiencing... Uh, an episode where they had threatened someone or more likely threatened themselves in terms of, of suicidal be behavior. And so we're right. working to limit the availability of that kind of, of um, information. In terms of the workplace, and again, and the seeking accommodation, the employer is not entitled to a diagnosis, for example, and say, I need this flexibility. I'm seeing a doctor. I, I, um, I need this kind of accommodation. 
Um, All people need to do is tell the employer what accommodation they need, not give their medical information, diagnoses, any of of those things. And any information that the employer does get needs to be kept confidential. Got it. Great. Now, you talked about the criminal justice system. How does the work of the Commission support individuals living with mental health disabilities or addictions um, when the individuals or their families or family caregivers um, are caught up in the criminal justice system because of the behavior uh, resulting from the mental illness? And those families those individuals believe that their human rights are insufficiently recognized by the criminal justice system. How, do you, how does the commission support those people? Barbara? Well, one, we, um, we make it very, very clear that those institutions have an, a requirement, an obligation to um, train their staff to have policies and practices in place um, to, to be aware of their obligations under the code and to work with them to have training and, uh, and the capacity to deal with people in a supportive way instead of a discriminatory way. We know that because of inadequacies in the mental health um, support system that many people end up in conflict with the law when they're not criminal. It really is a, a health care issue, but they've fallen through the cracks and they end up in, in, um, in that system. And without that kind of awareness on the part of those institutions, um, they, uh, they're treated very, very badly, and their their rights are uh, are really trampled on. Um, we uh, we're doing a lot of work right now um, with, for example, the Ontario uh, prison system. Um, we're doing an intensive project with the Ministry of Community Safety and Corrections, looking. At at the way that discrimination exists within their organizations. And sometimes it exists in terms of employees. And so the ministry has an obligation to uh, support their employees with mental health issues, for example, um, as well as obligations with respect to people who are in the system, whether um, it's incarceration or probation, um, those, those kinds of, of things, and really developing ways of, of dealing with things. We, we're aware, for example, that often if people with mental health issues in the system um, are aggressive, um, which may be uh, a part of... of uh, their illness, they're stuck in, seg- in uh, isolation, which may be the worst thing possible um, for, for their health. And we've seen example, tragic, tragic examples of uh, suicide and uh, self-destruction flowing from that. So we work 
by intervening in a case to get uh, changes made in the policies and practices and training that the the ministry does uh, in relation to people with mental health issues in in the the system. So it's it's a big area, and we're working hard. Similarly, um, the police service. Um, we're doing a lot of work with with them, and we've had a number of uh, again major major uh, tragedies. Um, Related to um, deaths of people with mental health issues, uh, right. at, in contact with police, and and how can the police be trained to to deal differently with these issues? This is a question of of human rights, and yes, uh, yes. and we've been been uh, pushing um, sometimes through the courts and cases, and sometimes through working in support. Um. Barbara, this is, this is a very, very powerful part of the discussion that we're having. And I'm just going to ask you a brief question, um, which is equally deep, but nevertheless, we are a bit short on time. <clears throat> Detention centers. What I read in the newspapers suggests that many People, young people, particularly in detention centres, are there because their families aren't able to raise the money so that they can be let out on bail. And some of them, many of them perhaps, have never been actually found guilty of anything. And as some of them also suffer from various sorts of mental health challenges, that seems a very difficult situation. Barbara, how does the work of the Commission support that kind of situation, the individuals and their families? Barbara? Well, um, again, by uh, requiring training and policies for all the officials, all the people from institutions along the way. Um, so being able to um, recognize that this is not uh, criminal behavior, but rather um, behavior that, that flows from a mental illness and needs a, perhaps a medical intervention as opposed to, uh, to a, uh, um, a punitive discipline kind of kind of of response um, it it raises the we believe our work and our policy raises the awareness of agencies and families and the people themselves understanding that they have certain rights and um, empowering them to ask for certain kinds of things, to um, put forward their rights to raise issues which may uh, change the response they get in a particular um, situation. But we know very much that this is a, a work in progress. Um, right. We know that... Um, um, the resources haven't been made available 
um, for certain kinds of interventions or or support. And some people um, consider that to be a human rights issue. In, yes, in terms of the law um, and the courts, the courts have said that um, governments uh, make policy and make uh, determinations in terms of how they spend the resources. Right. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this particular segment, so we're going to have to make the determination to go to the break. But this, again, this is a profoundly the word important isn't even enough to That's describe right. it. it it's, it's something a major that, societal issue. Absolutely. And we need to put a lot of uh, energy and resources into resolving it. Because, it, you know, if you're just from a very practical, pragmatic point of view, um, not only is there an enormous cost in terms of human beings, and that's enough reason to yes, address it. Yes. But it's much more costly in the long run for society to deal, to not deal with these things or to put them in the criminal justice as opposed to uh, a health care exactly. uh, or community support perspective. Exactly. Now, let's take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Barbara Hall, Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listen for Matters of Design with celebrity designer Dimitri Christian Skirakis as he explores the dynamics of interior decorating. Imagine your personal style and ideas being shaped by our guest experts as they highlight a mixture of home furnishings, lighting, textiles, and fashion from around the world. If you've ever had difficulty trying to plan how to do it yourself, why not collaborate with a designer and wind up with results like you've never dreamed of? Matters of Design can be heard live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Barbara Hall, Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Our topic is human rights and mental health care services, what family caregivers should know. Barbara, now let's talk about the steps the Commission is taking to help organisations and people in general to understand their responsibilities to respect the human rights of persons living with mental health disabilities and addictions. So let's let me ask you the question in relation to the organizations that comprise the mental health care system. What's the commission doing? What steps is it taking for that system to understand their responsibilities to respect human rights? Barbara? Well, we've, um, we've come out with, with a policy setting out um, the obligations of the mental health care system um, and we're out there doing a lot of education uh, with them on their rights or on their obligations and ways they need to act to meet their obligations and how to act in accordance with the, with the, the law. So we're doing education. We're uh, meeting with uh, parts of, of um, the mental health care system and working with them on policies and practices that will uh, make a difference in, in terms of how people are supported in the system. We're, we're uh, in discussions with a major healthcare system or a facility to do a comprehensive uh, project on how to create a human rights culture within that organization, with it working with the Human Rights Commission to inject human rights into every aspect of how, how they work with um, people uh, who come to them, as well, as I said before, um, the people who work within those systems who also may experience mental health issues um, them, themselves. So right. guidance and, uh, and ways that they can meet their, their obligations. Um, I'm hoping that the listeners will go look at our website <laughs> uh, because there are many plain language pamphlets and brochures um, that organizations can use in the course of of their uh, their work, um, we're doing uh, a lot of train the trainer. Um, so some of it's understanding, and then it really is uh, taking action um, to change the policies and and practices um, to to meet their their obligations. It's a big gotcha. big piece of work. Absolutely. Now, another big piece of work, which you've already talked about, but I'm going to ask you again, the, all the organizations that comprise the justice systems, what you're actually doing with them so that they understand their responsibilities to respect human rights? Barbara? Well, we're doing a lot of work with different police services on the contents of our policy, how it applies to them. And what they can do about it, and and the police are 
embracing that uh, that that work. Um, they're aware that there are many times um, when they're the the um, agency of of last resort, and that they need to have these these skills and and knowledge. And so we're doing intensive uh, work with them. On occasion, we're uh, Intervening in complaints where they um, have uh, discriminated against people on the basis of of mental health issues, and there's been a bad outcome. And uh, we do that to underline that the obligations are real, and there are real uh, penalties um, that come if those obligations are are ignored. We've been involved in litigation in the jail situation around um, female in, inmates with mental health disabilities and the um, issues about how the frontline staff and managers respond to female inmates and some major changes have been committed to and are in the process of of implementation. We we do a lot of public education with court services. How are people dealt with in, in the court system? Um, issues around accessibility, understanding the process, having the support that's required to move through through a process. So it's it's a big area with a lot of work that needs to be done, but we're uh, working in some very concrete ways to right. take the message to the various parts of the system. Now, talking about messages, and this is my unfortunately my last question for you, Barbara. What's your message to family caregivers about the human rights of their family members who are living with mental health disabilities and addictions? What's your message to them, Barbara? Well, first of all, that their family members do have rights. This is not just about a nice thing to do. The law says people have rights, are entitled to certain things. And so caregivers need to say that with confidence. Um, I'm not saying it's easy. It's, it's never easy, but progress is being made. So we want families to know about the rights and to put them, them forward. We have many resources on our website and encourage people to work um, for those things or to look at those tools and, um, and to use them. Uh, some family members file complaints when they understand discrimination has occurred, and we know how hard that can be for families that are already... Um, just reeling from the the kind of uh, pressure and stress this puts on them. But the system is changing. The law is there. And if we all um, raise these, these issues and uh, understand the rights and, and the obligations, over time, we'll take the words that sometimes are just words in the law and turn yes. them into a lived reality for all our loved ones with uh, 
mental health issues and, and addictions. That's a great message. And I'm going to say thank you, Barbara, Barbara Hall, Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission, for that very phrase you used, the law is there. You're getting the message across in those sorts of circumstances where the message is hopeful and helpful and in circumstances where help is definitely needed. And you are, you the commission, you as an individual, you and your teams of people are doing this. And so on behalf of everyone, thank you. Now, I want to wish you, if I can just be a little bit straightforward about this, um, please keep up the good work because uh, it's vital. It is now, vital. To... <laughs> now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments in this episode. Now, with Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research to find out what you, our listeners, think about or have experience of important topics such as the one we've been listening to. So please email me to hear more or to get involved. Our next episode will be trail riding in Powell River for people with mobility challenges. Please join us same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 